BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 180 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I think we got a lot to be thankful for. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Hahn. Thank you for liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends about this podcast. I can't believe I've been doing this. This is my 180th episode. I don't know how many years that is. Because I know there's a couple of best ofs thrown in there. I mean, there's 180 brand new episodes of the pod. That's uh, a lot of years. I hope you're enjoying it. I know I'm enjoying doing it. So uh, it's Thanksgiving week. I'm going to try to keep it light, although I do have a guest a returning champion, John Nichols from The Nation. He's their national correspondent. And we talk about the red wave that wasn't and the elections and everything going forward. Trump's announcement. I guess I got to talk about Trump's announcement. But before I do, let me just say thank you. I am thankful for my listeners. I Look, I have so much to be thankful for. I have a great family. I have two great dogs. I've had a great career. I still have a great career, I think. <laughs> so, uh, still doing a lot of TV, still doing a lot of other things. But I am so thankful that in the year 2022, the most egregious election denier fascists were soundly defeated. Now, that doesn't mean the, the job is over, America. You know, they're still running these people for school boards. They're running them for local election commissioners. You know, the state of Wisconsin, we've got to figure something out there because that that state has been gerrymandered to a point where Democrats could basically win 60% of it and only get 40% of the votes in their legislature and then gerrymander their congressional seats. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do. And it's still an uphill slog because there is a Supreme Court that is very much in line with political gerrymandering and allowing states to make it harder for people to vote. But I am thankful that the worst of them that were running for governor, people like Kerry Lake, people like that Mark Fincham in Arizona, and many, many others, Mastriano in Pennsylvania, were soundly defeated. They did not win. They did not prevail. And the Democrats will retain control of the Senate and barely lost the House. Look, they lost the House on gerrymandering alone. 
Had New York been able to gerrymander the way, let's say, Texas does, I don't think that this, the House would have been lost. Unfortunately, that was because had 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 40 more people answered their census in New York, we would have probably not lost a seat here. That combined with a better gerrymander by the Senate and uh, by the state legislature in New York, and we probably wouldn't have lost we probably wouldn't have lost the house. It's unfortunate. But I am thankful that we kept the Senate and I'm thankful that we're going to likely have 51 seats in the Senate, pick up a seat in the Senate because I don't know how anybody's working for her, voting for Herschel Walker. But I am thankful for that and you should be thankful for that too. Now, what aren't we thankful for? Well, I don't know what to make of the Trump announcement. Now, part of me is thankful because I think of all the Republicans that can be running, he's the one that we are most likely to win. But unfortunately, there is a, you know, the chances of him becoming president do not equate to zero, right? There's a better than zero chance that he will be president of the United States again, and that's not good for anybody. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, if you look at the exit polls across this country, um, the person who is least likely to be elected president would would be Donald Trump. I mean, you know, everybody liked to talk about how bad Biden was doing in the polls. Well, Trump was 16 points behind him. So let's take it like that. And nothing unites the Democratic Party better than Donald Trump. Now, I get it. You're all hearing the gnashing of teeth by Republicans about Trump's potential bid for president. And how they'd like to get somebody else. Well, screw you. The time for you to part ways with Donald Trump was when he tried to kill his vice president and lead a violent insurrection against this country. You decided to let him off the hook. Not only did you decide to let him off the hook, people like Kevin McCarthy embraced him. Others running around this country embraced him because they knew that was the expedient way to win his base. No, you should have taken him out. You should have voted to impeach him. You should have convicted him of impeachment in the Senate. And then he wouldn't be able to run. But you decided that, well, we can't live with him. We can't live without him. Let's play this game. I can control him. You can't. You can't control him. Don't give me this nonsense that DeSantis is beating him in polls in the Republican primary. That is not true. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not true. If it were true that Trump could be beat, Republicans probably would have won the Senate because we probably wouldn't have gone with Trump-endorsed candidates for the U.S. Senate in places like Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona. You lost those seats. Nevada. You lost those seats. No, New Hampshire. Trump endorsed guy in New Hampshire got destroyed. They got destroyed in Pennsylvania. They got destroyed in Arizona. They lost a squeaker in Nevada that they probably would have won if they would have went with a normal human being instead of the Trump guy. And in Georgia, they picked Herschel Walker, who came in second in the general and will lose by a wide margin in the runoff. Now, I write it down. Write it down right now. 
people are not coming out simply to vote for Herschel Walker. Just not going to happen. So I'm of two minds on the Trump thing. I, I, I truly believe he will destroy the Republican Party. And by the way, even if he's able to be beaten in a primary, which I don't think will happen, he's not the kind of guy who tips his hat, shakes his opponent's hand, and says, great job, you beat me. Now let's unite for the sake of our country. Let's unite so that the Republican wins. No, 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 no. If by some way, shape or form, the Republican Party is able to defeat Donald Trump in a primary, he will whine and complain all the way till November and he will depress Republican turnout to a point where Democrats will win easily. He will destroy the Republican Party. Look, look Republicans, and I know I got a lot of Republicans who listen to the show. He will burn your party to the ground before he lets you take it from him. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe your party with your Lauren Boberts and your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Matt Gateses and your Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz's and Ron Johnson's that don't really want to get anything done. They just want to get their name on Fox News or Newsmax. Maybe it does need to be burnt to the ground because I do believe we need to have two parties based in fact trying to solve Americans, America's problems, coming, from, coming at it from two separate directions and meeting to compromise in the middle like the founders intended. Incremental progress. And we don't really have that. I don't know what the Republicans stand for. I don't know what they stand for anymore. I mean, I know they're anti-choice, right? We all know that, although now they're pretending they're not anti-choice. But they're anti-choice. We know they're anti-choice. We know they're pro-gun. They love guns. Another mass shooting, a couple of mass shootings over the weekend, including a clear hate crime in in, uh, Colorado Springs where a gunman opened fire in an LGBTQ nightclub. They never blame the guns. No, it's never the gun's fault. Never the gun's fault. It's the doors. It's the policy of admission. It's what they're doing in the club. It's never the gun. Not in the Republican Party. I know they love guns. Now, they talk about crime, but I don't know what their crime policies are, other than that they they say Democrats are weak on crime. They talk about inflation. They have absolutely no plan for inflation because, quite frankly, the government doesn't really control inflation. Gas prices, they, they complain about things a lot. Yeah, so does my grandfather. Well, my grandfather's dead, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Everybody complains. I complain, but I'm not a member of Congress. I'm not running for Congress. Complaining's great. What are you going to do now that you won? Right? Kevin McCarthy is now, you know, I don't, I don't know that he's going to be Speaker of the House. I still don't think he's going to be Speaker of the House. But they've announced what they're going to do in the next session of Congress. And they're basically saying, well, we're going to do some messaging bills. And we're going to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, okay, you ran on fighting crime and lowering the cost of food and gas. How does investigating Hunter Biden's laptop fit into those plans? I don't know. I don't think it does, frankly. So, well, I'm thankful that I get to watch that and comment on that. But most of all, I'm thankful for you all listening to me. I really am. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with Mr. Nichols from The Nation. 
Um, you're going to love this interview, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. John Nichols from The Nation is with me. He's a friend of the show. He's been on before. He's calling in from Wisconsin. I think we had a time zone problem. I think that's why I didn't get him before. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, look, how, how could I not be good? The only thing that would have been better is if we would have won Wisconsin in the Senate. I mean, we won the governor's race. Thank God. Uh, but I think I think we could have won that Senate seat. I, I He was my sleeper candidate to win. Oh, you're you're exactly right. And in fact, you know, it was an interesting situation because in Wisconsin, the uh, uh, you know, look, the situation is that the Democrats fell way behind in that Senate race in September and October. And then as you got into, you know, later October and people were really starting to focus on it, um, Mandela Barnes, the Democrat, closed incredibly quickly. Yeah. I mean, it was it was amazing. He was gaining, and you know politics, so you'll understand this. He was gaining roughly, uh, you know, a half point a day. You can mm. see in the tracking polls and other polls. If he had had another two days, I don't think there's any question he would have won that seat. Yeah. And just think what that would have meant. Because if if you could have had that Wisconsin seat to go with Pennsylvania, well, that would have been cool. Oh, we'd be at 51 already. Who would come out? Like, who in their right mind would be coming out to vote for Herschel Walker? I mean, look, I don't think anybody's voting for Herschel Walker now. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, I do think it's a... But it would have been like, it would have been like, they, I, I think the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee would have had to pull out of Georgia by now if we had won that seat as well, or, or North Carolina, uh, you know, which, you know, North Carolina turned out not to be as close as, as Wisconsin. But I mean, yeah. look, I mean, Although I think it's closer again, I think, and this is not to pick on the Democrats because at the end of the day, they did pretty well, but it is to point out some strategic reality. And one of those realities is that they needed to put money in particular places at particular times. It's one of the subtleties of American politics. Yep. You know, if you put a lot of money in at the end, that doesn't have the same power as if you pour a lot of money in early, get your position, and then you can actually spend less at the end. Yeah. And I think that's what happened in Wisconsin. I think that's what happened in North Carolina. Um, And, you know, that, look, Politics is a constant learning game, right? You you do things, and then you realize, oh, we didn't do it right. We need to do it differently. Um, I think Democrats can look at 2022, that they have more of an appeal than they thought, knowing that they have more potential than they thought, and thus, going forward, adjust their strategies with a consciousness that instead of playing always a defensive politics, and you've said this, you know this. Yeah, they need to play an offensive policy. Well, where do you think the outlook? I mean, I, I, we're going to get to twenty twenty four in a second because it started last night, unfortunately. Oh yeah. Uh, 
But where do you think the offensive opportunities are in 2024? I mean, Ron Johnson was clearly an opportunity. He's one of those. I, I call him like Ted Cruz without the Ivy League education. He's he's horrible. Yeah. Really no, I think, horrible. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And look, uh, Ron Johnson is a, a really destructive figure, as Cruz is as well. But he's a member of the U.S. Senate who's constantly bringing up conspiracy theories, undermining efforts to compromise, you know, always bringing up a super harsh, super sharp partisanship to the game. And it's very destructive. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to look at. You want to look at the senators who are, you know, who never made an effort to be bipartisan. Right. Who never made an effort to, to make the place function. And those are going to be your best targets. There's simply no question of that. We've got to defend 21 seats in 2024. That's going to be hard, to yeah. be honest. And two of them are like, you know, John Tester uh, in Nebraska and, um, and, and, and Joe Manchin in West Virginia, if he decides to run again, which I'm not sure. He probably, well, there's a decent chance he will. Um, but it's going to be hard for him. I mean, if he runs as a Democrat, He's going to have a tough time. And, you know, you got a similar situation with cinema in Arizona. She could well be taken out by a primary challenge. Yeah, I, I would discourage that, frankly. I understand. You know, I'm not I'm not here championing it or discouraging it. I'm just reporting reality. It's funny. I know her. Right. I yeah. mean, I, I used to know. Her. I haven't known her since she's been a senator. I knew her when she was a state senator in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was too liberal to get elected to Congress. And boy, was I wrong. Well, she's changed a lot. From yeah, I mean, she's definitely moved to the right. Uh, but I don't think she's so far right that Democrats need to, you know, look, she's ha she has her opinion, and it's sometimes different than mine, but she votes for a lot of the things we like. And, but and, she's also got, can I emphasize, she's got two years to, to sort that out. Yes. Right? You know, people will get to know, and I mean, it's up to her, you know, in many ways. But I will tell you, I think also when, when you look uh, at Democrats who could be vulnerable in 2024, I think you have to recognize that Jackie Rosen out in Nevada yep. have a tough race. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, there's little doubt of that. John Tester, as you pointed out, is going to have a tough race. That is, that's simply a reality. Um, you know, and there, there's going to be some other states where it's going to be, you know, difficult, right? There's going to be a real contest, certainly West Virginia, if Manchin does run. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing about it. I mean, the, there is simply no question that the Republicans have some candidates who, if you get the right Democrat running against them, uh, could be vulnerable. And, and I would include, even though Missouri is a complex state, certainly more Republican state now than it once was. Yep. But I think Josh Hawley, um, with his record, is somebody who could be challenged and, and probably will be challenged. My suspicion is uh, there may be a couple people that get in that race, and I think there's possibilities there. That's certainly one to keep an eye on. Well, God knows whoever yeah. the Democrats nominate to run against Josh Hawley will be a fundraising darling on the internet, right? Like, well, there's no question they'll raise whatever they need. Uh, it'll, it'll, it, the money will flow to that raise because you know progressives can't stand him. I mean, you're talking about a guy. You know, you talk about whoever the candidate is. will will we'll have you know millions of ten dollar donations. That's right. That's exactly right. And I think. That, that um, that's a race that you keep an eye on. Remember, if, if um, you have, if you protect your Democratic income, which is going to be hard, 
And then maybe you can pick off one or two Republicans, knowing that it's a tough year. Right. I think it's a tough year. Then the Democrats retain the Senate. Yeah. It's not a complicated calculus. It's a tough map, but it might not be a tough year, right? Because the Democrats do well in a presidential year. If Trump is the nominee and you make a very good case in the nation right now that he will be, that's going to bring out every Democrat in this country. You bet. Of course it will. And, and you know, um, can I give you one other person? Yeah, go ahead. Another Republican. We don't have to go over all the Senate races, but there's another Republican who almost got beat in 2018 who's on the ballot in 2024, and that's Ted Cruz in Texas. Hmm. I didn't realize he was on the ballot in 2024. He sure is. And so then you have to ask yourself, like, who would be the logical Democrat? I I, I really like Beto O'Rourke. I have a lot of respect for him. But, uh, you know, the fact is he's run a few times. Yeah. And he might not be the answer in 2024. But you've got Joaquin Castro. You've got, you know, Julian Castro. uh, You've got other folks down there who are potential candidates who you know, could well build that coalition. Remember, someday, someday, Texas is going to flip. Yeah. And um, instead of, you know, giving up on it, obviously, for Democrats, who, you know, this is what we're talking about, this idea that instead of being always defensive, that they actually go on the offense. Yeah. For Democrats, um, yeah. Do you have to go after Ted Cruz? You betcha. And remember, Beto O'Rourke almost got him. Almost beat him. In 2018. I think we got to find the right candidate. You're absolutely right. I think he's one of the worst people in America. He's accomplished nothing. He is completely unlikable. You run you run ad after ad of him with his uh, face mask on going to Cancun, and you're done. You get him out, well, right? I mean, it's, you got, I, I, you you know, it, and, and frankly, you know, they just elected, reelected all their Republican colleagues. Things aren't going to get better in Texas. They're going to get worse. And it's, it's, uh, it is, uh, you're right. That is when we got to go after Ted Cruz. John, so the New York Post headline was Florida man makes announcement. See page 28. <laughs> uh, I think that's a little, I, I, I think he'll be on the cover of, of the New York Post by January 15th. That's my over under. Uh, what, what do you think? You're 100% right. No, you're right. Look, um, you and I have been at this for a while. Yeah, right? we are not. We didn't just uh, come to this rodeo, you know, without having haven't been to other ones in the past. And so, let's let's face the ultimate reality. There's a pattern now with the Republicans. Um, they try to quit Donald Trump. They, yeah. they say, you know, he did this, and there's it's unforgivable. Yeah, you know, there've been a lot of unforgivable things, right? Access Hollywood, a coup attempt. All right, they now, didn't impeach him. They could have killed him when they had a chance. They didn't. They didn't. So, and, and so the bottom line is that for the, for the uh, Republicans, their relationship with Donald Trump is one of, uh, they know that he is problematic. He has now led them through three losing campaign cycles. Yep. Right? 2018, 2020, 2022. And so do they want to stick with him? Probably a lot of them don't. Right. But, but their base, a substantial portion of their base still likes it. In fact, still really likes it. Absolutely. So they're in a situation where at some point they got to face that reality. Right. And so right now they're, they're feeling their oats. They're saying, well, maybe we could do Ron DeSantis or maybe we could do somebody else. But Trump, who is 
you know, like him or dislike him, he's brilliant at strategy. He he sees the problem. He doesn't want somebody else to get out there on the track and get ahead of him. So he announces early. He will be traveling around the country and he'll be doing outrageous things, yep. making noise and blah, getting blah, on blah. TV, getting in the paper, getting us all talking. Yep. And you know what's going to happen? Here's the interesting thing. Right wing media has developed many of its own platforms. They didn't have some of them in the past. They yeah. do now. And so Trump is going to be using these right wing platforms. He's going to be getting viewership. He's going to be getting some rating. I happen to believe. Yeah, I believe and, too. And suddenly Fox is going to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we could let him on now and again. You know what I mean? Maybe. Right. Uh, maybe we'll cover the rallies on Sunday nights. Yep. And then slowly but surely, that's going to build back up. And you're going to end up in a situation where a lot of the people right now who are saying, oh, I'm done with Trump, I'll never go near him again, are going to be saying, you know what? Maybe we can live with it. They will all do it. I think so. All think of the so. ones that are that were still with them until, you know, last week when they lost the midterms will be with him in a couple of weeks. I don't even think it's going to be that long, by the way. You may be right. And you, have you noticed, I mean, some are already there. Yeah. At least Stefanik. She's yeah. already there. She's already she's there. Already, you know, she's already endorsed saying, yeah, he's the one. There's a lot of people around the country who have already endorsed. In fact, the numbers are, you know, I mean, he's got a base. And let me give you one other thing, Chris, that I think is useful as regards to this discussion, just a way to understand things. In 2015 and 2016, Republicans were more opposed to Trump than they are now. Yeah. Remember, when he came along, they didn't want him. No, they didn't they want him at all. Leadership. And his poll numbers were dismal when he started. And so what, what did he do? He just plugged away in those primaries, and he activated his base. Yeah. And if you look at Iowa, he lost to Ted Cruz, but he got about a third of the vote. Yep. New Hampshire, he won with about a third of the vote. Yep. And then you went primary and caucus after primary and caucus. He kept on winning with about a third of the vote. Do you know he didn't get half the vote in any state until New York in mid-April? Yeah. So he went through months of the process, knocked out all the other Republicans, finally got to New York, knocked out Cruz and Kasich. And, you know, he ended up the nominee. Donald Trump, like him or not, knows how to play this game. He does. And and he's played that party like a fiddle, too, and he will continue to do that. And frankly... You know, we talked about, you know, the endangered Republicans in 2024. How is Josh Hawley going to come out against Donald Trump? How is Ted Cruz? They lose their primaries in their home states. They're not going to do it. No. And um, I don't think. And so you end up with a situation where this is an important message for both parties, right? (laughs) If they kind of know who the Republican nominee is going to be, then you start to build around that with don't. Don't let politics sneak up on you. Don't let it be something, you know, you didn't see coming, right? Be prepared for what you're up against. And the fact of the matter is, if indeed we're right, right, if we're right, you know, you do your candidate recruitment with that in mind. You do all sorts of other things down ballot, knowing what you're going to be up against up ballot. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, let's say you and I are totally wrong. Let's say our analysis is awful. Right. And ultimately, it's DeSantis. Somehow, you know, they unite behind him and he somehow beats Trump. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. But the fact is that, you know, most of the strategy of preparing for a very right wing candidate who's going to be incendiary, 
who's going to say and do things that are going to upset people. And, you know, it's going to be a very, you know, it could be an ugly race, right? Because that's how DeSantis runs. Yeah. Um, just as Trump does. You know, most of the preparation for Trump would be easily transferable. Yeah. So I hate to say I'll it. make I hate one to tell you. Yep. But I think we're already in the 2024 race. I, I, I do too. The only thing, the only caveat I would give is Trump could always make the excuse, well, none of my election deniers won and now the it's rigged and I'm not going to waste my time. I could see him doing that like sometime in April of 2024 and really screwing those guys yeah. up. Well, they see then he destroys the Republican party. Oh, completely. I am very very grateful that all of these election deniers running for secretary of state and governor in most of the country lost. Mastriano was the one I was most worried about. Carrie Lake second. Uh, Carrie Lake hasn't conceded, but of course she lost because she's a loser. Anybody who's kicking John McCain voters out of an Arizona election rally is not going to win, right? No. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, can you believe that? That's the thing that surprised me the most about her. I actually thought she'd run a pretty good campaign for an election denier. And then I started seeing these reports. I saw these videos of her to rallies telling, asking if anybody in the crowd voted for John McCain and then telling them to leave. That's crazy. Know, it, look, this is the weird thing about it. Carrie Lake was, in many ways, one of their stronger recruits, right? You know, she's a former TV anchor. You just look at it on paper. Don't yeah. look at it, you know. Say, a former TV anchor, very effective communicator. Um, she really believes, I think, in a lot of what she's saying, whether you like it or not. And so she says it, you know, powerfully, poignantly, effectively. If she could have just, you know, modulated yeah. a little bit. Uh, and I saw her, by the way, when she won the primary, she did a couple of interviews right after winning the primary that were quite modulated. Yeah. I mean, it was clear she was trying to do a little bit of outreach, trying to build out her base. And then she kind of fell back into uh, the kind of standard pattern. I think she believed the polls that showed her winning big. I think that's part of it. But I think there's also, you know, she did something that you see a lot of these candidates do. And that is she lived pretty much in the right wing bubble. Yeah. Right. And so she's doing her interviews with people who agree with her and who are cheering her on. When she actually was in a, in a gaggle with a group of reporters, she was extra, exceptionally uh, combative with them, right? She, yeah. You know, telling her they're going to they're gonna learn a lesson from her. And so the end result was she didn't run her campaign in a way that was aimed at saying to that McCain voter or to, you know, that dubious, you know, slightly dubious independent. Yeah. You know what? This could work out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Maybe she's not so crazy. Right. I mean, like That's politics. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she just was doing an act to try to get this base and win the primary. But she she I mean, her closing ads were about election denial. I know. And, and it's and you're campaigning around the state with, you know, prominent election deniers. Yeah. And and so you're 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 doing two things that I think are destructive. Number one is you're off topic, right? Because that's not the main topic for most. Right. Most. I, I'm, I'm worried about paying for my, you know, buying milk, and you're telling me about the, the 2020 election. What's your point? And that's the thing. So you're off topic, and you're also unsettling people, right? And you may even be saying to some people, well, "It's not worth voting," right? Right. It's or whatever. Yeah, it's and rigged. So the end result is that you end up in a situation where you, you, you know, weaken yourself at a time when you should be strengthening. And the 
interesting thing about this is we saw this in a lot of places around the country. You mentioned Mastriano in Pennsylvania, Tudor Dixon up in Michigan. Yeah. Um, these candidates didn't just get beat. They got crushed. They underperformed. Tudor Dixon cost the Republicans the legislature in, in Michigan. Well, the Michigan case, I mean, that's a, we could tell a different story there altogether, which is that, you know, if the Democratic Party is looking for a model for how to do a state, Remember, Michigan's a state that went for Trump in 2016. Yeah. It's a state that sent Republicans to the Senate over yeah. years and had Republican governors not that long ago. Yeah. And so, you know, suddenly, what did the Democrats do in Michigan? Well, first, maybe it was a good lesson. They put women forward. Right? They did. And they put strong, effective women forward. Right. You had a woman running for governor, a woman running for attorney general, a woman running for secretary of state, all in those offices already. Very, you know, on top of the issues, uh, bold, fun, interesting. They were effective candidates. Yep. And then they also did strategy. They put a referendum on the ballot as regards abortion rights. Yeah. They're pulling people out on that. We should get that on the ballot in every freaking state where there's a Senate race in 2024. Well, it seems to have an impact. Yeah. So you end up in a situation where um, Michigan gives you an example of how you can pull things off at the state and the federal level, because remember, you had some congressional races there in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, you look around the country, the House has flipped. It's gone to the Republicans. Well, barely. Because, but yes, very barely, but underperformance by the Democrats in a couple of states, right? New York. <laughs> the maps were bad. Yeah. The situation was rough. So you have New York, you have California, a couple other states. But then you look, look at Michigan. They actually were doing better. Yeah. Than pattern. I think so, I got to tell you, I think Gretchen Whitmer should be the Democratic nominee for president, if not in 2024, in 2028. I, I, I think she happens to be the best of our governors. Now, I think Josh Shapiro is going to give her a run for her money because I think he's going to be great. Uh, but but I think have a few out there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Gavin Newsom is not going to give it up easy. Yeah, I just don't know if another California liberal thing, you know, I, I just don't know how that sells in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and Arizona. You know, like, we got to win those states. And I like Gavin Newsom. I think he's done a good job as governor in California. Well, and all I'm telling you is, again, this is another one of those situations where we're not really uh, we're not really telling you what to do or what not to do, what to believe or not what to believe. We're telling you the news. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that you know, Gavin Newsom's certainly shown an interest in this, and he likes to stir it up with the Republicans. So there's a chance that he makes a go for it. I think so too. Yeah. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Definitely will. He should. Uh, it's just a question of you know who who is the best person to lead us and and win. I mean, that's that's yeah. the key. We got to win, right? And well, it's <laughs> and you see in 2024, obviously, Joe Biden's in a stronger position than he was, you know, a week and a half ago, right? People are going to look at, at the situation and, you know, he's he's got to make choices. He's got to make decisions. But, boy, he had he's had a pretty good November so far. Oh, fantastic. Well, let me and, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so, you know, when you're talking about potential candidates, you may be talking about 2028. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is that, you know, this is a very interesting situation to be in where we're talking about a pretty strong Democratic bench. Yeah, it's about time. It's about freaking time. So let me ask you one more topic before I let you get back to your life. Kevin McCarthy. You know, he I, I don't know that he's guaranteed the speakership. 
I still to this day will not admit that he's going to be speaker. I won't admit that till January 2nd when it actually happens, if it happens. But he's going to have a about a four-seat majority in the House. Mm-hmm. How do you think he's going to do? Terribly. <laughs> <laughs> he's not very good at what he does. No, he's not. He's very weak. Yeah, first off, first off, let's let's measure his electoral success, right? Right. He's supposed to have a red tsunami. He ends up, you know, waiting a week and a half, almost two weeks, just to get his majority. Um, and so, you know, it's this is not a great situation uh, for Kevin McCarthy. He's coming in weak. He's got a incredibly divided caucus, and this is something, you know, a lot of media doesn't cover the Republican caucus in congress well they just say oh they're all right wingers yeah they talk about the whatever. freedom caucus no there's no diversity in that caucus it's all on the right most of it pretty friendly to trump right but remember you have in that caucus the freedom caucus which is you know in many cases to the right of trump right yeah most of the issues then you've got the real trumpers the stefanic people like that who are just seem to be down with the guy no matter yeah what. they're just like opportunists i think but yeah then you have then you have the you know, Trump-curious, Trump-friendly crowd, you know, the ones who, if Trump's running, he's looking strong, they're with him, they don't really like him, right. probably, but they're floating around there. And then you have a small portion, right, that A, is really done with Trump, and in some cases is actually interested in, you know, being part of a, you know, center-right, functional, competitive political party. Right. And those four different groupings that I described are not going to be on the same page on any issue. But what do you do if you're like a center-right, I'd like to actually govern, if you're from the governing wing of the Republican Party? Like, you're not going to caucus with the Democrats and try to get things done. Nope. That's, that's unfortunately, the partisan divide is so intense that that's, those old days, you know, I don't think there's a Jim Jeffords in the bunch. No, not a single one. Wrong. For listeners who don't have that much history, Jim Jeffords, the Vermont Republican senator who flipped at a key point during yeah. George W. Bush's presidency and helped the Democrats to get in a very good position. But, I mean, here's what you can do, right? Um, if I'm the Democrats, I never give up on the House. I never give up on, you know, strategy on the floor, strategy as regards issues. And I'm always trying to pull three, four, five people over on any particular issue that arises. Yeah. Right? And that can be, you know, whether they're they've got a bad budget plan, whether they're trying to pass the debt ceiling. Right. Right. And so um, and if I'm Joe Biden, Biden gets beat up for this a lot. And I actually myself have criticized him at times and said, you know, look, too much time spent in the office, too much time in the back room. I understand the dynamic there. But let me offer you another dynamic. This is a guy 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president now, two years as president. I mean, he knows his way around Washington. Yeah, he's the most experienced guy there. Right? So I've got to say, part of Biden's job is to keep talking to any Republican in the House, especially, who might be open to, you know, if not, a couple of options you got. Number one, coming over to vote on a particular issue. Number two, I don't know, if it's in a swing district looking okay, might want to be an ambassador. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, when it's that close a margin. Uh, you got a bunch of options for how you can, uh, you know, keep working that ground. It looks like he's only going to have to pull three of them away. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, people and so, leave yeah. office for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> that's right. And Maybe. so 
Let's okay. hope some of them win the lottery, John. I, I don't ever wish death on people. Let's hope they win the lottery no, and decide they want to retire in Scotland or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. Something like, well, John, this has gone by too quick, as always. And I really do appreciate you coming on. Where, where can people find you? What do you want them to know? I'm on the Nation website, uh, www.thenation.com. People can read up and, and see what I'm writing about. Many of the things we just discussed, you know, are articles that I've written. Got a big piece coming out that's looking at the state of the Republican Party. It'll be in the magazine in a week or so. So come and visit us, and you know, and I hope we get to, you and I get a chance to talk again soon. Me too. John, John Nichols of The Nation, thanks for joining me. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, that's John Nichols from The Nation. Sorry if there was a little audio problem. John was actually doing a show from a hospital, called into my radio show for me, and I really do appreciate it. I hope his mom is doing okay. Uh, But make sure you check him out in the nation. He writes some great stuff. Um, And, uh, yeah, you'll enjoy it, and he'll be back. Trust me, he'll be back. He's got his his eye on the pulse. So, all right. Last thought before Thanksgiving, this special counsel appointed by Mueller— to investigate, to oversee the investigation of all the Trump crimes that they're looking into. Look, if it was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel this week, it was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel probably 18 months ago. Let's not pretend that Donald Trump has not been saying he's running for president for the past two years. He has been. I don't know if this is going to delay things further, But I'm sure it will. Look, I have said this to you before. I'll say this to you again. Do not hold your breath waiting for Trump to be convicted of anything. I don't think it's going to happen ever. And nor do I think if he ever was convicted of anything, will he spend a minute of his life in jail. That just won't happen. So I don't know what Mueller's game is here. I know he tries to play things by the book. And and I'm sure he is. And Republicans criticize this move anyway, even though, yet again, this just slows things down again, probably for another year. Right? This guy's now got to get up to speed on what's going on. He's got to staff up. He's got to understand the problems. And, you know, to me, I know we look at it, it looks like a cut and dry case of fraud, of theft, of inciting a riot, and a million other things. But... The nuance of the legalities here uh, is probably more than that. And if you're going to prosecute a former president of the United States, which is something that has never been done before in this country, you better be damn sure that this is an open and cut, shut case, whatever you bring. Because there is going to be a segment of the population that will never accept that this is nothing more than a political prosecution. So, yeah, I understand that. I think you understand that. Most of the people listening to this show understand that. Uh, I don't think he should uh, go scot-free if he committed a crime. I believe that no person should be above the law. But I think it'd be foolish for us to think that a former president of the United States is going to be treated the same as anybody else. Just not going to happen that way. 
So the special counsel has been appointed. We'll see what happens. Don't hold your breath. But again, be thankful that our democracy survives another two years. And I think, turn the corner here. Congratulations. Here we are. 2024 has already begun. And I'll be here with you to talk about it, to lead you through it. So happy Thanksgiving, America, and everyone around the world who listens to me who may not even know what Thanksgiving is. Look it up. It's a big day where you eat here in this country. Uh, One of my favorite holidays. I host it. I'm having about 20 people to my house, making the turkey myself. Um, And uh, I always look forward to that day, so... All right, I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.